You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. We set the foundation for a brand new series called Christ in the Old Testament. And we looked at two travelers that were on the road to Emmaus, and they began talking to this stranger that was actually Jesus. And Jesus opened up the Old Testament Scriptures, and He taught them who He was, but from the Old Testament. Remember, this: the interesting thing was that Jesus did not rebuke them for disbelieving Mary and the testimony of the angels and the witnesses that went to the tomb. Jesus rebuked them for not believing the Old Testament prophets about Him coming as the Messiah. And we saw that every story and every event and every person that we read about in the Old Testament finds its climax in Jesus Christ. And that the Old Testament is not separate from the New Testament. And that they are actually connected. And Jesus is the one that ties these two Testaments together. And so today we are going to look at our very first type of Christ. And a type was a person or an event that that God was using to foreshadow Jesus coming. And so today we are going to open up the very first Type of Christ. And so I want to invite you to two places in your Bible this morning. I want to ask you to note Genesis 1 through 4. It was great to hear the commonality in our Bible studies this morning. But as you mark that, also Matthew chapter 4. So you take your Bibles, you you put a piece of paper in Genesis 1 and 4 and Matthew 4. If you're an electronic guru... Uh, hopefully you have the, the Version Bible app. If you do, open that up on your tab more. If it says live events, I've posted some notes and the scripture references are there for you. You can follow along and, and digitally take those notes. So whether paper, electronics, let's go to Genesis 1 through 4 and Matthew chapter 4. And as you're finding that, as kids or as parents... There's a scenario that you've probably all been involved in. Whether you're the child or the parent, there has been that moment that you as a child or you as a parent have been maybe standing in the kitchen and your child comes in and they say a word that totally shocks you. And I'm not going to give you some of those words, but you know what they are. They say something and your jaw drops and you just can't imagine that those words just came out of your little baby's mouth. And your first reaction as parents is, where did you hear that? And you're going to ready to call their parents and, and let them know that your baby has been corrupted. And we've all done that. We've been that child or we've been that parent. And why do we react that way? One is we do not like to think that our children are capable of evil like that. We, we just don't like to think that such a foul thing could come out of our children, our our, our offspring, there's no way that, that, that evil could come out of them, those foul things. And we're really looking for somebody else to blame for that. Because we know, where did you hear that? You know, and usually my kids are pointing at dad, you know, and you're, you're hiding at that point. The other reason is that we as parents, we want to block or we want to protect our children from the evil that we say is out there. So we, 
we don't like to think that our children are capable of that, but we also want to protect them. Well, whether you're two years old or 92 years old, there are two things about us that are true. We learn evil by becoming evil. That's how we learn it. We learn evil by becoming evil. God is different from us. He can know evil without it affecting Him. But the only way we know evil is by stepping through that door and becoming evil. The other thing about that is true of us is that once we know evil, we cannot unknow it. You can't do it. Once you have crossed that line, you don't get to come back. You know, I, I think a lot, and the youth have been at our house. I mean, if you're not coming, it's a great time, and we're having a, a blast together. But, man, I think about students. Well, I have a student in, in those teenage years, and Man, I'm careful of the things I want my children to watch because I know once their eyes are open to that, they, they can't unsee it. Entering into those relationships, students, the thing is, is that every relationship you're in affects the next one because once lines have been crossed, you can't unknow that. And so evil is all around us, and we learn evil by, by becoming evil. And once we have crossed that, we can't unknow it. And our problem with evil is far more serious than we realize. We can't run from it. We cannot forever be shielded from it as much as we probably try. We cannot escape it. And there is absolutely only one solution. So this morning, I want to contrast two people. I want us to look at Adam. And then I want to look at the better Adam. I want us to look at the first Adam and the, the type of Christ in Adam, the second Adam, and I want us to look at the differences between these two. So open your Bibles to Genesis 1, and let's get reacquainted or maybe be reminded of some things about this man, Adam. Beginning in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to verse 31 says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. And in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for your food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was night on the sixth day. Well, I want to point out four observations for us this morning as we orient ourselves once again with this man, Adam. First of all, it said that man is created in God's image. We could spend all morning long talking about what that means. But in short, it means that we were created after the likeness 
of God. Now, are we God? No. But of all of God's creation, that we are the only ones that it's said that we are created in His image. So to be created in His image could mean this, that one is there are attributes that God shares with us. Do you remember the most uncomfortable thing about freshman biology in high school? It was that activity that there's this face, and they pair you up with a girl or a boy, and you have to look at each other and write down the attributes of your face, the color of your eyes, the color of your hair, the size of your ears, the the bigness of your beak, and those sort of things. And then if it's not uncomfortable enough, you have to flip a coin, and you kind of make this 50-50 chance thing about what this child would look like. Man, I remember just wanting to like crawl into the Bunsen burner and, you know, just disappear kind of thing. That how embarrassing it was to go, okay, and you're making this child. But they're trying to show us that when two people come together, there's something that's created in their likeness. But God shares some of his attributes with us like truth and wisdom and mercy and love, justice and Ability to rationalize things and speech and, and truthfulness. There are things that God shares with us that we get to enjoy. But there are also attributes of God that He does not share. Meaning God is all-knowing and God is not bound by space and time. And He can be everywhere and He is all-powerful. But to be created in God's image means that we have the capacity for a spiritual fellowship with Him. So being created in His likeness, we get to share in things of God. A second observation, to be fruitful and multiply, meaning they were to populate the earth. And this is going to be very important for the case that we're looking at in building this morning. The third observation, He told them to have dominion over, or didn't tell them to have, but that they do have dominion over fish and birds and every living creature. Meaning that Adam was to lovingly rule over God's creation. God creates it. He gives it to Adam. And he says, Adam, this is yours to enjoy. And in fact, in verse 29 and 30, it says, Adam was given every seed and plant and tree and bird and beast and everything that has breath. All of these were given to Adam. And he was to lovingly rule over them and protect them for their own interest. And the fourth observation I need us to see is that Adam was God's representative on earth. Adam was to rule like God. He was to love like God. He was to care like God with their best interests in mind. That Adam was to be God's representative on the earth. He was to be there and to represent God as his ambassador over all creation. So it was created in His image. He was to be fruitful and multiply, to have dominion, to care, to rule over them. But Adam was there to be God's representative. Could God have been everywhere? Yes, He is. But God had a purpose of creating a man that would represent Him. Let's get a little bit more detail in chapter 2. Look at verses 4 through 17. Beginning in verse 4 of Genesis 2, it says, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that of the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the fields had yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. 
for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. And then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden and in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made it spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. And the tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And a river flowed out of Eden to the water of the garden, and there it was divided into four rivers. In the beginning of verse 15, the Lord took the man, and He put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You shall surely eat of every tree of this garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you will surely die. So once again, four quick observations that we need to make sure we see. First, in verse 8, notice that God created the garden and then He placed Adam in it. And that's going to be important. God created, then He takes man and He puts him in the garden. So there must be something He is doing that He has a purpose. The second thing, Adam and then eventually Eve had absolutely everything that they needed. God had given them every animal, every seed, every plant and tree for their enjoyment. It was all theirs for the taking. Plus, there is this beauty that goes beyond anything that we could probably ever imagine. And it's beautiful, and there's all that they need. The third thing, God blesses them with all that they need, and He gives them one command. He says, all of this is yours to enjoy. Go after it. But I have one. There's only one thing that I need you not to do in this one command was to not eat of that one tree. The fourth observation is this command was given to Adam. Why is that? Why is it given to Adam? Well, one is Adam was to be God's representative. Adam was there as God's first created man, and he was there to lead everyone that would come after him. And as God's representative, everything that was going to be true of Adam, he is going to then pass on to everybody that would come after him. And so Adam, as God's representative, is given this command. So Adam was the first one created in God's image, and then him and Eve were then to pass that image bearing on through all of his children. God was going to use Adam as his representative To bless the world. Through Adam, he was going to spread God's image all throughout the world. And God created Adam. And it was true of Adam. Was then going to be true of his sons and daughters. But there's a problem. Look at chapter 3. Beginning in verse 1. What you were talking about this morning. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree of this garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. 
But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate And she also gave it to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So Satan, the serpent, is going to Eve with three temptations. One, in verse 1 it says, Did God really say, Do not eat of any tree? And Eve seems to do what we should all do. She comes back up against Satan with God's word. And she says, we may eat of any tree of this garden. Except the one right there in the middle. But then Eve adds God's commands by saying, but also do not touch it. So she begins adding to that. So Satan comes back with a second one in verse 4. He says, surely you will not surely die. But this time, notice Eve does not fight back. The third temptation in verse 5, Satan, the serpent, comes to her and says, God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. And Satan takes that fruit and he says, take and eat. And he takes the fruit and she eats it and she gives it to Adam who is with her. And at that moment, everything changed. They discovered evil by becoming evil. And Adam and Eve, in that moment, they lost their innocence. And once they lost it, they could not get it back. Once they knew this evil, they could not now unknow it. They tried earning their innocence by by taking fig leaves and and fashioning loincloths. They were trying to regain their innocence. But they lost it. And then in verse 8, you see what happens. It's God is walking through the garden. And we know God knows what had just happened. And Adam and Eve, they hid themselves because now they have something to hide. And then in verse 9, God calls out to who? He says, Adam. Now why is that? Why, why does he go after Adam? Once again, Adam is the leader Adam is God's representative. Adam was to care and to guard not only God's plants and his animals, but also God's gift to him and his bride. And then in verse 12, we find a very disturbing phrase from Adam. Verse 12, it says this, And the man said, The woman who gave, uh, to, you gave to me, gave to be with me, that she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. But you notice a couple of things. One, Adam is the first among God's creation. All things were created for him. And God said, I've given you everything you could possibly need, Adam. Second, Adam was to be God's representative. And Adam was to rule and to love and to have dominion over God's creatures. And he was to represent all mankind that would then come after him. But the third one, and we see in verse 12, Adam becomes Eve's accuser instead of her advocate. In modern terms, we would say that Adam threw Eve under the bus. 
something sad happened about a month ago in our watching another pastor fall from grace. Had an affair and he comes out and I'll never forget reading his response. I remember listening to what he was saying and he, he came out and he said, but I just want you to know that my wife had an affair first. I mean, he became her accuser instead of her advocate. And Adam fails miserably in the garden. And we could easily think, well, I, w- I would hate to be Adam. But the miserable truth is that we are. You see, there are multiple places in Scripture, especially Romans 5 and 1 Corinthians 15, that shows us that when Adam sinned, we all sinned. When Adam rebelled, you rebelled. When Adam replaced God, we replaced God. Because Adam was God's representative of all mankind. And when Adam sinned, he no longer passed on his innocence to his first sons. He passed on sin and rebellion. And that has been passed on from generation to generation. Adam passed on death to his children and to their children and to their children all the way to you and me. You and I are born into this world with a sinful nature. And it says in Psalms that you come forth and you were created in iniquity. And that sinful nature separates us from God and He places us rightly under God's wrath. Man, if that's the end of the story, we're without hope and we are headed to an eternity that the Scriptures call hell. But the great thing is, you may know as it's not. Is that God didn't leave us with just one Adam. He provides a second Adam. A, a better representative. And so what I want to do, I want to contrast Adam's failure with someone else's success. Turn to Matthew chapter 4. Turn to that first gospel, the fourth chapter. I want you to see that Adam failed miserably in the garden. But there is someone else that was victorious in the wilderness. Beginning in chapter 4, verse 1, this is the temptation of Jesus. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit, the second Adam, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, Adam is placed in the garden. Jesus is led by God, the Holy Spirit, into the wilderness. And then it says in verse 2, and after 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. So Adam's in the garden and he's placed in this place of blessing. And he has absolutely everything he needs. Adam doesn't want for anything. And here's Jesus in the wilderness, a place of punishment and cursing. And he's on the verge of starvation. Verse 3, and the tempter comes and he said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. In Genesis 3, 1, Satan went after Eve's physical appetite. He presents her with this fruit. Man, and Satan is going after Jesus' extreme hunger. Man, Eve and Adam had every tree they wanted. They weren't hungry. Satan is trying to get both of them to question God's plan and goodness in their lives. And he does the same to you and me. He wants you to think that God doesn't care. He wants you to think that what's happening in your life, that God's just turned away. He wants you to think that there's something in your life that God's actually withholding. Look at verse 4. 
And he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the word of the mouth of God. And Jesus fights back with Deuteronomy 8, 3 with the word of God. But Satan's not done, verse 5. And the devil took him to a holy city. And he set him up on a pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up. Lest you strike your foot against the stone. Genesis 3, 4. Satan told Eve, surely God's not going to let you die. Satan does the same to Jesus. Jump down. God's not going to let anything happen to you. And Satan is trying to get them to question God's promises and his word. He is wanting them to, to tempt God. Jesus looks at him and says again, It is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to a test. And he strikes back with Deuteronomy 6.16. But the devil's not done. Verse 8 and the devil took him to a very high mountain, and he showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all of these I'm going to give to you if you fall down and worship me. Genesis 3, 6, Satan told Eve, if you eat of this fruit, you know what? You'll be like God. It will all be yours. Satan does the same to Jesus. Satan offers Jesus these beautiful kingdoms if he will just worship him. What Satan is after, he's trying to get them to question God's sovereignty and his order. You know, there have been two representatives. Two Adams. The first Adam, you and I receive a rebellious and a sinful nature from him. We come into this world as sinners and we inherit this sin nature. And then we go on and commit personal sins. So we're, we're never without an excuse. But we are all in Adam. But there's hope. Earlier I mentioned that you can see these two Adams in Romans 15 and, and 1 Corinthians 15. Let me show you that in Adam we all sin. We all rebel. But it's not the end of the story. Listen to Romans 5. For if because of one man's trespasses, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation of all men, so one act of righteousness leads to the justification and the life of for all men. 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 21 and 22. For as by a man came death. By a man comes also the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die. So also in Christ shall be made alive. Every one of us. From the youngest to the oldest. We begin our lives in Adam. That life begins and will end in sin and shame and death and punishment and wrath and condemnation and doom and hell. And I know that we don't like to think about that. But that's the truth straight from God's word. And if we die and you are only in Adam, you will spend the rest of eternity paying for your sins. 
and that you will be forever separated from a lovingly heavenly Father. But that doesn't have to be our reality. Because God's Word promises us a hope, a future. It says it's filled with forgiveness and mercy and blessing and life. Because in Christ there is hope. So how does this happen? One, it's by realizing this. Adam failed, but Jesus passed. Adam failed in the garden, but Jesus passed the test in the wilderness. Adam was tested by Satan and failed. Jesus was tested by Satan and triumphed. Adam brought death and destruction. Jesus brings everlasting life and joy. Adam was ruined by Satan. Jesus eventually will ruin Satan. Adam gives a fallen nature from below, and Jesus gives a new nature from above. Adam ate from the tree of knowledge, and he forfeited life. Jesus is the tree of life, ensuring eternal life. Adam brought sorrow, pain, tears, and death into this world, but Jesus will wipe away every tear, every sorrow, and death in the new world. From Adam, you inherit a sinful nature. But Jesus, God's only Son, stepped out of heaven and became one of us. He fulfilled what Adam and you and I never could. And Adam, and he became Eve's accuser instead of her advocate. Jesus becomes your advocate and he stands up against your accuser. Once Adam discovered evil, There was no returning back to innocence. Adam and Eve and everyone that would follow him were without hope. They could not, you could not regain your innocence because you had known evil by becoming evil. And once we had crossed over, we can't unknow it. You can't go back to innocence. Once your children have been exposed to something, you can't unexpose them. You know, that's why our hearts break when when we hear our children Cross that line into evil. Because we know once they know evil, they can't unknow it. There is no going back. Their innocence is lost. And the same is true of us. There is no way back to innocence. Our only hope is forward to the cross. And that is how Jesus is the better Adam. I want to close with a poem that was put to a song by D.A. Carson called Astonishing Grace. So as you're thinking of the old Adam and the new Adam and how is Jesus a better Adam and how he fulfills all that the other Adam couldn't do, I want you to ask yourself, are you still in the old Adam or have you moved into being in the new Adam? This poem is called Astonishing Grace. Astonishing Grace that God the Son should choose to leave the Father's glory and refuse to clutch His dignity, exploit His right hand, and make Himself a no one in our sight. The Word made flesh, the Son of God of man, the timeless one clothed in mortal sin, now bore of dust and in a manger laid, Transcendent God in human likeness made. 
astonishing grace that we should enter in. He tore the veil and cast away our sin. He saw our hate, our dark and desperate lust. He bore our guilt and the declared us just. Astonishing grace that Christ should suffer death and know firsthand the grave's corrupting breath. The Prince of Life, creation's glorious Lord, He paid the price that we could not afford. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your grace that is amazing and it is astounding. That we as sinful beings that I wonder, God, why you haven't given up on us. Because there's nothing that we could ever bring to you that is worthy of anything. But Father, you are not done with us. Because you are love and because you are merciful and because you are gracious. You are saving us from ourselves. We acknowledge before you that we are born into sin And that we continue on in our evil. And there is no returning back to our innocence. Father, we've tried. And we try to cover up all the things around us and that are in us and that we're about. That we are ashamed of. But we acknowledge that we cannot go back. Because once we have known it, we cannot unknow it. But Father, you provided a solution. You provided a better Adam. Lord, you provided a better Mark. You provided someone that could go through this life and that could remain innocent. And in Him, Father, You take our sins and You laid them upon His back as if they were His own. And then You turn around to those sinners like me and You give me His perfect, innocent obedience as if it was my own. That great exchange, Lord. So, Father, all of us that may be here tonight that, or this morning, that we are not in your Son, Christ, that, Father, you would open their eyes and their hearts to see the truth for the very first time. And for those of us that we would say, yes, I, I know the gospel, I believe the gospel, but, Father, I pray that we would always be astonished by it because we need your gospel every single moment of our life. So, Father, thank you for your Son that comes and provides all of these things. And by the power of your Spirit that you give us to live for you from now on. It is in all these things that we ask. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.